All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing's nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth building market insights. Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. It's uh, episode number 69. Uh, jobs, 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 some earnings out there going on, and, and why investors don't seem to be so successful is what we're going to be talking about today, right, Don Schreiber? Absolutely. Now, like, look, guys, if, if you hear loud, uh, you know, weird noises during the episode here, you know, Don's a little under the weather. That doesn't stop us here at Bull, uh, Bull Bear Radio. He's got the sniffles, the sneezes, maybe, you know, the, the Chinese, uh, you know, pig, uh, swine flu, Ebola thing. I don't know. You know, he's got something going on. But uh, we got a lot of information to come your way today, you know. So, so don't have a, you know, watch the ears there in case there's a, a random sneeze. We'll try and get it away from the microphone. But here we go. So let's talk earnings, Don. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks now, right? It looks like the numbers are way better than the experts think. Now, so I consider us experts. Uh, hopefully people are listening out there because I got to say, and I'm going to toot our own horns here. We were right. The experts were wrong. Earnings so far coming in way better than expectation. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we were talking, they're talking about a huge decline year over year in earnings. And about as far as, in the 4% range, it, by the way. Yeah, as far as I know, uh, we're actually so far in positive territory. This doesn't look like the disaster totally. that, you know, was uh, forecast. How many companies are beating expectation right now, Don? 77 percent 77 percent yeah is that through the end of last week yeah, through the end of last week and wow. I'm, i mean you know that's a that's a big number that's way above the five-year average it's about seven percent you know uh high uh from what it's been and uh you know it's indicating that analysts you know lowered their expectations too far and actually the 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 size of the beat is big it's five plus percent which is way above wow. the five-year average wow. too wow Really? Yeah. Um, so are, are companies beating here, being rewarded, uh, in, in your opinion, uh, you know, from a, a price appreciation perspective? Yeah, I mean, we're and seeing- those that are missing getting trashed? Yeah, we're seeing the market go up. You know, if you're going to, if you want to be rewarded, you better have a pretty monster beat. You got to have, sure. you got to have a big beat on the, on the bottom line. You've got to have good uh, beat on the top line and you better have a good forecast because mm -hmm. if you don't have that- it's gonna. Be, you got to have the trifecta right now, yeah. Really to, to really to get through earnings season from a, a price perspective on Skate. Now, look, there's 389 companies reporting uh, so far this earnings season, and we're looking at with uh, with uh, these S and P 500 companies reporting a, a earnings growth of positive 1.61 percent, and that's with uh, you know. The vast majority of companies reporting now that is which that, is, is which is good? which is Matt said that's about what we thought we'd get maybe uh, a one percent uh, you know uh, rise in earnings and that's because the 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 analysts were thirty or forty percent off last time uh, to the low side so if that was the case this time that's what we were forecasting about a one percent beat on the upside and Positive. you know not only that but uh, we were talking about uh, the 
GDP numbers. Yeah, corporate Holy profits cow, look better. GDP, man. You know, we're t- we we thought maybe this thing to was going to look a little week. bit better than what the three point two percent. You know, man. economists are saying three point two percent. Now, I got to tell you. That is a monster number, 3.2%. Yeah, and talk about monster numbers, right? Jobs, 190,000 new jobs expected, 263,000 actual. Bam. Wow. It's big. I mean, it, it seems like the folks that are doing the analysis on the economy don't have a good pulse uh, on, on the whole thing right, well, at one the of, moment. One of the things that you know has been uh, trending higher and is a surprise to economists is that productivity continues to get a little bit stronger. When you mm-hmm. have productivity growth, it allows you to produce more goods and services without the increase in the number of people, which is actually good for the economy, you know, especially as we bump up against these very, very high employment numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, we went on the 263 number that we had in new jobs. We're down to 3.6%. Holy cow. We haven't seen a number like that since 1969. Now, most of the listeners probably weren't alive in 1969. I happen to be. And I can tell you that this is really rocking and rolling. Uh, You know, could it be that President Trump and his administration are on the right path in terms of economic growth, man? This looks good to me. Well, and I think I, we're going to continue that. I think we're going to continue to get some. Know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I think members of Congress would say that that you know we're not on the right path uh, well, in regards uh, to that. You know? it, it, honest opinion. The facts indicate we're on the right path. Hey, I signed up for the first uh, round of seahorses too from uh, from Hawaii. Um, you know, you can you can take seahorses to the mainland. Mermaids. Uh, yeah, something like that. Anyway. Um, uh, I heard that's a plan out there somewhere. Uh, moving along. I mean, you're talking about productivity, right? Um, and, and we're not trying to get political here. It was a joke. Okay. So we don't care. People just need to do their jobs. Uh, revenue, uh, 4.62% man across, uh, the 389 reporting, man. Whoa. Whoa. That's that's huge. That's I mean, you number. always like to say, right, that earn, uh, earnings are what companies did, right? Revenue is going to uh, predict, be predictive of how good those earnings might be the next quarter, right? So this is looking like a pretty strong number, uh, stronger than forecast. It is a little bit stronger than forecast. You know, we had some uh, uh, 6% or so uh, revenue growth over, over the year last year. And so 4.6 is lower than the growth rate is lower than it was last year. But, you know, with the forecast for essentially uh, slow down Armageddon, this is really looking pretty strong. And, you know, most of the uh, experts are out there saying that, you know, this was a one hit wonder. By the way, the first yeah, they got quarter earnings wait a forecasted negative. Again. The first quarter is always the slowest almost always the slowest on average the slowest quarter with the worst numbers for the year mm-hmm. last year we were i believe about 1.9% in the first quarter we're at 3.2 this year mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like a slowdown to me no and and you were supposed to have negative earnings this quarter they've slid that now into q2 what I was trying to say. I mean, Q2 is forecasted slightly negative now. Uh, revenue is, is positive, but uh, you know, worse than this quarter. 
they're forecasting Q3 pretty positive, uh, just slightly positive on earnings. Uh, best uh, so far in the year for Q3 in revenue, if the forecast is right. And then Q4 is supposed to be like rock star for companies. Uh, hey, big you know, earnings growth, big <clears throat> revenue growth year over year. And that's over last year's you know big beats. I, I'm just not getting the numbers at the moment. They're not jiving to me. I don't think that people have a good handle on what's going on. I don't think the economists get it. I don't think the Fed uh, members get it. I think that, you know, the Fed's doing the right thing. They're trying to figure out why the numbers are coming in different than they expected. Right. Really different than right. they expected. And they're just holding holding a pat hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're essentially saying, I think, I'll, I think I'll hold. I'm just going to hold here. You know, I'm not going to pull any cards. I'm not going to, you know, fold. I'm just going to hold. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, moving along here. I mean, you were talking energy was supposed to be the absolute rock star uh, uh, and darling of this earnings season. That's been not so fast, my friends. You know, uh, uh, anything but uh, materials, not so good. But everybody else looking pretty solid, uh, single digit to double digit, uh, you know, earnings and revenue growth. Uh, communication services is kind of the the leader of the pack here on both both sides, along with healthcare. By the way, you know one I of mean, the healthcare is cruising. Revenue growth seventeen point seven eight percent. That's it with forty eight to sixty two reporting. And these companies have been getting trashed from a price perspective lately. I, you know <laughs> the market's also out of sync with what's going on. Healthcare. You know you got an aging population in the U.S. The baby boomers. You know uh, and and the folks that are even older seniors. Uh, the healthcare uh, uh, companies are going to do better and better and better. You know, the reason why they get trashed is because there's a lot of political pressure on the healthcare companies, especially on the pharmaceutical cost side. And, you know, when the government intervenes in industry, it messes everything up. And that's why the market's out of whack here? I believe. Well, with, with that. It's you know, the political pressure, uh, essentially, on you prices. Bet. You bet. It's the same thing in the financial, same thing in the financial they're sector. They're still killing it from a revenue perspective, though. There's so much political pressure, negative mm -hmm. political pressure on the financial sector, banks. Well, you were talking which about are Warren Buffett this morning, Which right? are reporting well, right? Can't, can't buy a bucket in terms of you know, getting a significant amount of uh, price momentum in the first quarter, uh, you know, the financial sector in the S&P 500 was up, uh, it was a leader, up 9%. It's the first time in maybe this last five years that it's really had a good price momentum. And um, it's really surprising to me that, you know, we continue to trash this sector, which is important systemically to the U.S. government. Obviously, we're in the financial services industry. Doesn't feel like it's uh, to warranted. the United States economy. You know, Warren, Buff Warren yeah. Buffett was being interviewed this morning on CNBC by Be Becky Quick. It is, yeah. you know, it is Berkshire Hathaway week, you know, uh, out, right. out there in Omaha and everybody who is somebody. By the way, we're not there. So anybody who's somebody is out there. Uh, but, you know, what he was, uh, Becky Quick asked him, you know, would you support a, and he's a big investor in Wells Fargo. He's the biggest investor there is, mm -hmm. right? So he's got a big stake in that game, and I'm sure he's not happy with what's happened An to Omaha the- Omaha-sized stake yeah, in that game. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Not a stake, but a stake stake, like yeah. an Omaha stake. Like right? the whole state-sized stake. Yes. <laughs> At any rate, um, she asked Warren, uh, you know, would you endorse uh, somebody from the financial services industry- 
you know, the Wall the Street, Wall Street yeah. banks uh, uh, as a, a new leader for Wells Fargo. He said, well, you know, there are probably 10 or 20 people that are more than qualified to lead that company from, you know, Wall Street investment banks. Um, but would be the right, right choice. It'd be the right choice in terms of what's good for the company and shareholders. But in fact, right now, with so many people, you know, positioning themselves for uh, presidential uh, run here and uh, financial services and especially Wells Fargo being the uh, bully pulpit where they're trying to make some uh, political uh, capital here. He, th- he thinks it'd be an absolute disaster to hire somebody and, and essentially the person who would come in would never be able to do their job because of the political pressure, um, just because they're trying to get political capital, not because there's something wrong with the company. Yep. You know, he was pretty disquieted about the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's it's a uh, uh, a tough spot that uh, you know uh, you know businesses in America here for for the most part. I mean, it's all been politicized uh, these days. But anyway. Uh, Let's move along to the small and mid cap side of the equation here. Uh, looking a little, ouch. Looking a little different. I mean, earnings growth a little bit better than the S and P five hundred, about three percent, and revenue growth three point five four percent. Lower, lower revenue growth. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting, instead of uh, three sectors that are negative for the S and P five hundred, there are so the S and P S and P five hundred mid side sectors, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Large companies are uh, their profits and revenue are looking a lot stronger on average than the small and mid-sized mm. companies. Yep, and and some of the negatives here are very small on this mid-side, but some are pretty darn big. Um, you know, healthcare is not the leader in the small and mid-cap side. It's actually taking quite a quite a beating there. Large cap, it's crushing it from an earnings and revenue perspective. Small caps, tough at the moment. So um, is, is this why prices have come off their highs here for small and mid cap so far this year? Is it because earnings have been eroding, uh, you know, for these stocks? I, I, I've I, noticed the trend. I mean, yeah. large caps kind of hanging in there, melting up a little bit more. But SMID, man, it's been a volatile mess. Well, I think that, you know, companies are having uh, trouble. We see it with uh, earnings reports, right? There's been a bunch of small and mid cap companies that have really struggled to post a, a continued positive trend in earnings and right. revenue growth. And, man, when they're getting, um, you know, if they disappoint, <laughs> they're getting murdered on price. Yeah. and if Just they, murdered. And if they beat, um, they're getting uh, rocket shipped to the moon. Yeah. If, if it's somewhere in between, man, it's still volatile. I mean, the price swings 2 3 5% every single day here. Hey, the market is favoring growth, growth over anything else, right? Growth in revenue. Uh, con- conceptually growth. We're seeing all of this IPO stuff come out, right? These are companies- No earnings, no problems. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't have to have earnings. They don't have to have revenue right now. But if they have the prospects for really strong growth, investors are bidding them up mm-hmm. unbelievably. I mean, we had a- it's uh, like 1998, ve- all a, over again. We had a vegan food company come public uh, yesterday, and it was up 100 Beyond Meats. Beyond Meats, up 165%. 165%. Yeah. 
in a day. Yeah, B-Y-N-D was the ticker yesterday. you got to be kidding me, yeah. 165%. Now, the experts mispriced... Beyond expectation there. <laughs> yeah, the, ex- the experts mispriced that because, you know, the company left an awful lot of capital on the table, and, you know, uh, the mm. uh, underwriting uh, syndicate's going to really make out pretty well on uh, that 165% increase in value. At any rate, the, um, well, let's let's talk about the growth stocks versus the reason why I think I, the reason why I think small and mid cap companies are struggling in terms of return right now is the number that you pointed out there. The, the projected growth rate or the current growth rate in this quarter for companies is only three percent. Mm. It isn't enough growth for investors to get excited and to continue to invest. And they're selling, I think. The uh, small and mid cap companies and repositioning to more you know, large cap to fund all this IPO stuff, and we right. have we have you know dozens and dozens and dozens of IPOs coming. The money's got to come out of something, right, for it to get invested in these and it's new been IPOs. So well on the large cap side, <laughs> and so you know uh, the small and mid cap uh, companies. A lot of these companies are small and mid cap companies, and you're seeing money come out of uh, existing small and mid cap companies and going towards these IPOs. And I think that that's holding back, uh, you know, the traditional small and mid cap sector. So, um, well, you know, we're going to take a very quick break and, and don't, don't not come back. We have some, uh, very, very interesting statistics on what investors actually do long term that's going to make your head spin. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Bull Bear Radio? Check out the Bull Bear Minute. WBI experts quickly break down investing hot topics in these short podcast episodes. Search Bull Bear Minute on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. Man, Don made it the the whole 17 minutes there on the front end without, you know, sneezing or having to blow his nose. I mean, this was... This is awesome. So, look, we're back. Follow us everywhere. Uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Alexa, play Bull Bear Radio. I mean, it's that simple. Just subscribe to the podcast. I'm on. I'm, I'm on Twitter. WBI President Don WBI CEO. Uh, look for me on uh, Fox Business News in the next couple of weeks. Have a couple of uh, uh, dates with uh, that fine network coming up. So, uh, look for me there on. Uh, you know, uh, the early morning spots. Uh, but, uh, hey, let's let's talk here. Some very interesting statistics recently put out on, you know, um, what investors actually do. And man, I mean, this is going to make your head spin. Um, investors, investors following conventional investment wisdom to, you know, buy and hold, number one, use passive indexes, number two, typically aren't uh, successful. Uh, or as successful as they could be, according to some of the studies that Matt's going to uh, talk about. Yeah, I and mean, this is this is really critical because, you know, um, the investors need to be successful. The more capital they have, the more income they're going to have, the better the economy is going to be, the better their family is going to be off. I mean, this is really a very very important segment. Yes. So go for it, Matt. So from uh, 1979 to last year, dividend growers and initiators. 50 years. Um, you know, 
did so much better than those non-dividend paying stocks. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So those companies who had dividend were paying dividends right. and grew their dividends. Or started paying dividends. Right. So the initiators. Right. But they, and then they grew their dividends. So they initiated or grew over this 50-year period. What's, what, what, what did they do? What did they get done? Well, during a bull market phase, right, 20.4% mm-hmm. annualized, right? Whereas, so, in, so in a bull market, dividend growers up 20.4% yep. per year yeah, and, on average. And, of, of course, the growth stocks, those that did not pay a dividend, did slightly better, 24.1% during sure. bull market phases over this so, uh, long so time. About thing. a 3% advantage, which we've seen in the last, you know, five, seven years, definitely come to play in this bull market phase, which has lasted longer than normal, 10 years. The growth and momentum stocks that are non-dividend payers tend to outperform in that environment. But that's only half the story. What's the rest of it, Matt? Yeah, this this is uh, interesting stuff here. You know, this is a, about, it's actually about a 40-year time frame. Okay. Um. So it's a 40-year time frame, but uh, still a very long period. Great, great uh, markets and bad markets all included here, right? Uh, bear market time frames, right? Your, your dividend growers and initiators during a bear market down 10.4%. That's not bad. Down 10? You're, you're I mean, the, non- average, the average bull market decline or bear market decline is down 40 to 50 yeah. So down ten's pretty darn darn good. That's not bad. Yeah, your your uh, your growth uh, stocks, the non dividend payers, down twenty nine point two percent. So almost three to one. Three x. Yeah, three 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 x. Thirty percent down versus ten. Okay. Now knowing these statistics, who do you think beats? I mean, you got more upside for those growth stocks, more downside for for the the non dividend payers. What what do you think? And and obviously good upside during a, a bull market for the growers and initiators and. You know, way less downside during a bear market but, for the growers and initiators. Man, you Who know, do you think wins? I, I, I've got uh, one of the smartest guys ever, uh, you know, recorded in history. Einstein says that compounding is the most powerful force, financial force in the universe. And the way to, uh, I know, because we've looked at it, you know, extensively over the last almost 40 years that I've been in the business, that, you know, the, the number one way you can help Increase compounding efficiency is to lose small. So you're going Take with the growers. Smaller losses. You're going with the growers and the initiators here. Okay, thirteen point eight percent for the growers and initiators, and eleven through, through both bull and bear markets. Yeah, this is for the whole time frame, forty years. Eleven point three percent for the non-dividend payers. Wow. So you get a two percent per year for forty years performance advantage. That's a lot of money. From dividend growers over the flashy growth stocks, tech stocks and the momentum stocks that everybody chases right into the bear market trend. So let's truncate that for a second, right? Uh, that time frame. We're gonna go twenty years, half that time frame. Okay. Okay. And uh so this yeah, is I mean, from forty years nineteen ninety nine through the end of twenty eighteen. Okay, um, J.P. Morgan. You know they have some great research that comes out um, on a frequent basis, kind of annually. They put out like their fact book, right? I mean, are they somebody important in the in in, in the world of finance? I've never heard of uh, you know the guy J.P. Morgan. The yeah, big, never large, heard of him. largest bank in the world. Yeah, never never heard of him. 
Um, anyway, they, they do a good job, right? So the S&P 500 over that time frame through the end of last year has done uh, 5.6% per year. Wait a minute. Over the last 20 years, it's only done 5.6%? 5.6. Oh, man. That's not much to uh, it, it's, to write home about. It, it's actually, as we've said a couple of podcasts ago, it's like the worst 20-year rolling period in history. You know, Because usually you get a 10% return. On average, in the markets, well, we got ha- term, we, right? we got we got we got half the return because we had two two brutal bears, fifty percent yep. or so bear markets in there. Yeah, and by the way, I was talking with some financial professionals the other day, and they think that you know we haven't seen the end of these big down fifty sixty type of market events, and really the game changers. Everybody's got their dang brokerage statement on their phone every single day, so when they see a loss that spooks them a little bit, they sell. And when more people, more and more people do that, it's it's like, you know, rushing for the eggs. Wait a minute, it's a wait stampede, a minute. dude. Conventional investment wisdom is buy low cost indexes and buy and hold. Yes. And you know what investors do? What's because this, of What's the selling you, thing you're talking oh, about? Oh, you know, well, that when investors sell, guess what investors got over this 20 year time frame? You guess. Do you think they did better or worse than the 5.6? I don't think they did as well. I, I'm going for, you know, investors are smarter than the average bear, okay? And I, I'm going to go f- to the top side. They did better. Think I'm, you, you think I'm wrong. You're looking at me right now, and you're like, dude, you're an idiot. Right? <laughs> you're, you might be the dumbest guy that's Silence, ever done a crickets. podcast. I don't want to say, in, you know, like, history. you got to be kidding me, man. Okay, so uh, 1.9%. So the S&P 500 over the last 20 years had a compounded annual rate of return of 56 and investors, as measured by J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. across this period of time, and they have yeah those guys, they have millions and millions of investors that they uh, checked with. Um, you know, only got they've one, got all they've got the data one point nine percent versus five point six. God, that's dismal. Yep, that is really horrible, really bad. And you want to know what the sixty forty blended sixty percent equity. 40% bonds. And this is, you know, kind of your uh, conservative blended portfolio that most people uh, find uh, to be Palatable. A, a good buy and hold tool mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't quite go down as much uh, because of the bond side. The 60% is in equities. That goes down a lot. The 40% doesn't go down as much. Help, help hold them in, hopefully. Yeah. So what what did the, what was the return over the last 20 years? 5.2%. So, wow, a 60-40 blend, first thing that just leaps to my mind is... Well, Bonds it, had a good run. It, it had almost the same return, 5.6 for the S&P, 5.2 for the blend. Um, man, I, that's you're taking about just, you know... Almost half the risk. By, by the way, the You got 40, almost all the return. That's the, a pretty good the deal. The 40-60 was 5%. Bonds themselves, 4.5%. So, I mean, you know, you, you got... If you could just, uh, you know, bought and held a, a moderate portfolio, man, you made out really good. But apparently investors didn't do that. Well, you know, the problem is that um, the blends, uh, as they're managed in mutual funds or other other products, um, you know, the, the portfolio managers themselves, the institutional managers. Well, they got to take risks to get return. You know, have to uh, try to get that return that they. No free lunch. The, you know, the markets start to post at the end of bull markets and they end up leveraging the 60-40 blend to 70-30 or 80-20, mm-hmm. and they become a closet indexer just before the market craters. By the way. And they take bigger losses. Inflation for the period, 
the average investor didn't even beat inflation in one of the lowest inflation timeframes in history. So I have a really good question. This is something that has been disturbing me for almost my entire career. Why in the world does the industry, does the media support this conventional investment wisdom that people should buy and hold when we know they don't? And the result of trying to buy and hold leads them to buy high and sell low, and they end up with a dismal return, like 1.9% compared to the index's 5.6. I don't get that. I think that that's like really bad, bad advice. Yeah. So so here is another study. Very similar. It's going to confirm the same dang thing, right? Especially when you There's put more the two, than one study. When, yeah. When you put the two two together, it's the average investor, unfortunately. So uh, the average equity investor over the same time frame, 1998 to 2018. I mean, you're the, the years are one year off on this thing, but it's it's the same. It's a 20 year time frame. Right. Uh, the average equity investor got 5.29% over that period of time. And because you're including 98, which was a great market year, right? The yep. average returns higher, 7.2%. So that's why the numbers are a little bit different here, a little bit higher because you include an extra really good market year in there. But the average equity investor only did 5.2 versus 7.2. If you had $100,000 invested, right? Let's, let's quantify this uh, in terms of your money. 100,000 went to 280,000 if you were the average equity investor. And uh, the S&P 500 went to $401,000. The difference here, by the way, is $120,000 of wealth. On a hundred grand. On a hundred grand investment over 20 years. And why why is that done? Is this like what? Why did they do so much worse over this time frame? They don't stay invested. They buy high and sell low. This is what happens, man. All right. Uh, the Investment fix- Company Institute, which tracks all mutual funds and ETF flows every single month for the industry, mm-hmm. shows that investors don't stay invested when the market is under a lot of price pressure. So check this one bear out. Markets. This one is just mind-boggling. You got another one? Oh I my do. Gosh. This one this talk one, about piling on. This one is nuts. If you oh. talk to the average advisor on the street, they say that I don't sell my bonds. Well, the average fixed income investor got 0.44%. 0.44%. One of the best and part of this 20-year time frame has one of the best bull markets and bonds ever. Bloomberg Barclays AG Four point nine eight percent per year over this time frame. Mm-hmm. So the average fixed income investor, hundred thousand went to one hundred nine thousand. Bonds actually went from one hundred thousand to two hundred sixty four thousand bucks. Wow, that's even a bigger uh, differential than the equity. Investor. So, so when when you take the average investor, right, they had a, a five and a zero. That's why this comes out to about two percent, according to J.P. Morgan, because people have blended portfolios. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a bond investor or an equity investor. The markets will throw up every once in a while, you know, like really bad uh, uh, bear market results that uh, are very scary. And and it's a difficult time for uh, people to stay invested. One last Oh, my goodness. Not another one. So last year, the average investor, right? Lost 9.42% according to Dalbar. 
Matt, you're killing me. I, I'm not making this stuff up, dude. You know, it, this was released by Dalbar for immediate release. It's out there. It's a press release, right? Average investor blown away by market turmoil in 2019. Dalbar study shows the average equity fund investor lost twice as much money as the S&P 500 index, down 9.42%. The S&P 500 was down 4.38%. So why would that be? Ouch. Why would that be? Yikes. Oh, the quote here. Chief Chief Marketing Officer Corey Clark says, judging by the cash flows we saw, investors sense danger in the markets and decrease their exposure, but not nearly enough to prevent losses. They decrease their exposure. They decrease their exposure right at the wrong time. Well, you know, the market, when markets were the down, market, they the market, sold. The market had a wonderful uh, day after uh, Christmas or holiday rally. There. The average investor didn't get it. Oh, no, they weren't fully invested. Whoops. Oops. What's that buy and hold thing? I don't know that that, that, that happens, man. It's clear. Pretty clear, I think. We've prevented some very significant evidence here that people, uh, you know... Uh, are active. So what's the solution, Matt? Man, I think you have to pick, you know, good investments. No, no, you know, if you're passive, know what that blend is, know what the downside of that, that blend of, you know, fixed income and equities is going to do and try and offset that with maybe some active managers that'll insulate you from the downside and still get a good upside for you. Hey man, here's the deal. Here's the deal. In my, my opinion, You've got to build portfolios that take uh, uh, the downside or the loss hmm. uh, uh, that investors are willing to wait, make, you know, so or and, and hold through. So if I'm if I'm an investor and I'm close to retirement or I'm in retirement and I only can take it down and, 10 and I can take it down 10 percent decline. I got a million dollar portfolio and I can watch my portfolio go down by one hundred thousand dollars, which scares people to death. A hundred thousand dollars on a million. They, yeah, on a million. They, I mean, they really care about ten percent. Ten percent doesn't mean. By the way, if, and if it's appreciated in value, right? Because now I have one point four million dollars, and you're down ten percent. The hundred and forty thousand, you don't even get to that. The hundred thousand scares you to death. So you, you bail down six or seven percent instead of you so, know ten. You know, you have to be able to build. Uh, you know, sophisticated, mathematically uh, refined portfolios uh, to help investors stay the course. If they have a down 15 or a down 20% loss tolerance, then you build that portfolio. The important thing is to get the risk and return that the client needs to accomplish the retirement goals. This idea that investors, like right now, are chasing return. Because they think they're entitled to it. You're only entitled to the return of a bull market if you're willing to hold down true 50. a full bear market cycle and make no adjustments. Mm. And even if you do that, in our opinion, because of Einstein you know, telling us that compounding is the key, when you lose half your money in a bear market, even if you bought and held... You have damaged your ability to compound. It takes years. In the S&P's case, it took 10 years to recover from the 2000 through 2002 bear market. Right. Then it took another 
you know, five or six years to recover again, just to get back to even. Well, when markets after 2008 and 2009, well, when markets go up like this, people start chasing that return too. That's why the return is really only 5.6% over the last 20 years, which includes the 98, 99 run, which was up 50% over that two year period for the S and P. Right. I mean, this is a hard, this is hard to win. And sometimes the markets make investing look easy. Investing is never easy. It is just. It's a nail biter, man. It is. And, you know, when the the market's starting to look really easy in terms of return. Gets really hard. You better be very careful with your money. Get, you know, uh, portfolio managers that know how to manage risk and return actively because it isn't about the return on capital, it's a return of your capital quickly after a bear market and then compounding with return on the capital. And if you're in retirement, this is a very tough game to win because if you lose too much, if you go down more than 20%, the portfolio failure rate game over. is very high. All right. So that is Bull Bear 69. Game over, over and out here from, from Bull Bear Studios. This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stocks discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all of the time. And there is always the possibility of loss. You should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or any other investment professional. If you have questions regarding the applicability of specific issues discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or your chosen professional advisor. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. WBI's advisory operations, services, and fees are in the form ABV available upon request. You are not permitted to publish, transmit, or otherwise reproduce this information in whole or in part in any format to any third party without the express written consent of WBI Investments Bank. Returns for average equity and fixed income investors calculated by Dalbar. Dalbar uses data from the Investment Company Institute, Standard & Poor's, Bloomberg Barclays Indices, and proprietary sources to compare mutual fund investor returns to an appropriate set of benchmarks. The study utilizes mutual fund sales, redemptions, and exchanges each month as the measure of investor behavior. These behaviors reflect the average investor. Based on this behavior, the analysis calculates the average investor return for various periods. These results are then compared to the returns of respective indexes. Ending values for the indexes and hypothetical equity and fixed income investor investments are based on average annual total returns.